Good morning, College Park. Thank you, Pastor Nate, for your kind words of introduction. Thank you, Pastor Mark and all the elders for your partnership with us in North India. We are so grateful to you for what you are enabling us to do for the Lord and his work in that country. Before I begin uh, my, the ministry of the Word of God, I want to ask a question to those of you who are 12 years and under. If you are there, and I have a gift for you if you can answer my question correctly. So 12 years and under, please listen to me carefully. And if you have the answer, raise your hand. Hopefully I can spot you. You can come up here and love to give you this book, Windows on the World, an Operation World Prayer Resource. Question is this, which country in the world is the largest English-speaking country? Any 12-year-old who has an answer? Somebody raising hand, help me to spot them. Where? Okay. Shout it out. Very good, India. Come down here. Come down here and get this book. India is the largest English-speaking country in the world. Did you know that? Well, guess what? When you dial an 800 number these days, where is your call answer? (laughs) We don't speak like you all speak. You all is the wrong part of the country, right? But we do speak English. Well, what a delight it is to share God's word with you and thank you for your partnership in the gospel in that country, which is the largest English-speaking country in the world. In India's official language is English. We have over 500 languages in India and English is kind of our link language. The great gift that Great Britain gave us when Great Britain ruled us for over 200 years. Well, our text has been read to you in Malayalam, Romans chapter 10. I will not read it again for lack of time. All of you know the larger context of Romans, I hope. The principal of our theological seminary in India, the head of theological seminary is called principal, the principal of our theological seminary, New Theological College. By the way, I also want to add a word of invitation to you to you, just along with Pastor Nate, please come. Please visit a mission field. Make it a priority. Come to India, we'll give you the best chicken curry you ever had. (laughs) And we will take good care of you. It's a wonderful country to visit. It will challenge you. It will broaden your horizons. And Dr. Simon is the principal who has his PhD in New Testament from Edinburgh, um, sorry, Sheffield University. He always says, thank God for conflict in church. Strange statement, because he goes on to say, if it weren't for the conflicts in church, we won't have most of New Testament. The letters of Paul and Peter were mostly written because of conflicts in church, with the exception of Romans. Romans was written as a missions fundraising letter. 
Did you know that? Yes. Yes, Romans is a missions fundraising letter. No time to elaborate on it and show it to you. What a great letter it is, written as a missions. He was a missionary. He, won. he heard of a country called Spain, and he heard that gospel is not preached there, and he wanted to go there, and he needed support to go there. He couldn't go there without the support. Listen, without your support, we cannot do what we are doing. Thank you for supporting missions. So Paul wrote this letter of introduction to the church in Rome. He said, I'm going to go to Rome, well, to Spain. On the way, I want to stop and see you, and I need your help. If you don't believe me, read Romans chapter 15, 23 to 29. There Paul it says it. We don't have time to read it. And this letter, what a powerful letter. It has touched as one New Testament scholar says, it has touched innumerable all stars of the Christian faith, transformed them. You heard of St. Augustine? How was he converted? By reading Romans. You heard of Martin Luther? How was he converted? By reading Romans. You heard of John Wesley? How was he converted? by hearing the reading of the introduction that Luther wrote to Romans, the preface. An amazing letter indeed. In fact, this is what Luther has said about this letter. This is the purest gospel, quoting. This epistle is in truth the chief part of the New Testament and the purest gospel. Well, that's a wider context of the passage we read. Coming to the immediate context of the passage we read, while Paul did not divide his letter into chapters and verses, we know that was done much later. Bible was divided into chapters only in 1250 AD. Did you know that? Only in 1250 AD by a Roman Catholic cardinal by the name Cardinal Hugo de Sancto Cairo. Bible was divided into verses. I can never pronounce that word right. But I know what, I hope you understand. Only in 1550, by a printer, a French printer by the name Robert Stevens, it is stated that he did it while he was riding on a horse from Lyons to Parish. No wonder some of the divisions don't make sense, right? <laughs> well, in, the, in chapter 10, Paul makes three critically important and amazing statements before we come to our text. First statement in Romans 10:4, Christ is the end, telos, of the law. Second statement, 10:9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Number three, 10:13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Quoting Joel 2.32. Let's very briefly look at these three statements before we actually jump into our text itself. Romans 10.4. Christ is the end, tellos, of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. This is an unbelievable statement to come from the pen of a Pharisee. Because law 
and all of you know what Paul means by law, the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, the books that Moses gave, the most authoritative scripture for all Jewish people, including the Sadducees. Sadducees did not recognize the other portions, but they too recognized Moses' words are authoritative. And here this man says, Christ is the end. What an audacious statement. The word end, telos, can be used in the sense of completion or fulfillment, as it is done in Matthew 5.17. It also can be used, as it is done in Hebrews 8.13, in the sense of termination or annulment. Both senses are found in the New Testament. In either sense, to say that Jesus of Nazareth, who died on a cross like a common criminal, in the eyes of most people, is the end of the law, was an earth-shattering statement. We don't recognize the power and impact of that statement because we are so far removed from the context. But please do understand that it shook Jewish readers when they read that statement. Coming to 10.9, the shock becomes even greater. In 10.9, he says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus as curios. Curios is the Koine Greek word used there. Some New Testament scholars will write it with K-Y-R-I-O-S. Some write it with K-U. It doesn't matter which. This is an amazing statement. Jesus is curious. What does it mean? Today, the word Lord has lost its meaning in English because, well, we are far removed from the context. There are two very serious implications for this statement. I have to rush through it, so please listen fast. In India, we are trained to preach three hours because most of our people come to church walking an hour or two, and if the preacher sits preaches for 30 minutes and sits down, they will stone us. <laughs> they want to get their walking's worth. You know, and I know if I preach three hours here, Pastor Mark will be the first to stone me. <laughs> so I have to do it quickly. Curious, what does that mean? Listen very, very carefully. Listen, please, very important. Did you know that particular word is used over 5,000 times. Over 5,000 times. In the translation of the Old Testament into Greek, which is known as the Septuagint. 5,000 times. I give some statistics there. Over 170 times in Genesis. Over 400 times in Exodus. Over 300 times in Leviticus. Nearly 400 times in Numbers. 544 times in Deuteronomy, three times in Shema. Deuteronomy 6.4 was the most important text for a Jewish believer. It was the confession of faith for the Jewish church. In that text, that particular word is used three times. Translating the holy name of God. The tetragrammaton. I hope you're impressed with me now. Tetragrammaton is the technical word they use, four-letter word, 
Unfortunately, in English, four-letter word has bad name now. But did you know it is the original holy name of God? Yahweh? Over 5,000 times. In the first five books of the Bible alone, 1,800, over 1,800 times. Curious. So when a Jew heard that word, a Greek-speaking Jew heard that word, immediately he thought of Yahweh. Yahweh, the creator of heaven and earth, Lord God Almighty. That's what Paul is saying. He is saying this carpenter from Nazareth that hung on the cross is Yahweh in the flesh. Oh, my brothers and sisters, please do not equate my Lord Jesus to another prophet or another guru. He is God Almighty who became flesh to redeem you and I. He is king of kings. Equally important. Equally important. Another political meaning. The first is the religious meaning. The second, equally important. Do you know who held the title Curios in first century? In the Roman world? Only one person. We have so many lords now, you know, particularly in UK, England, there are so many lords. In Roman world, there was only one man who could hold that title. And who was that? Caesar. Caesar himself. We have no idea of the power and authority of Caesar. We have no idea of the power and authority of emperors of the ancient world. Because today we can say anything about the president. We can say anything about our prime minister in India. Uh Uh-uh. Not in the Roman world. If you said one word... Your neck would go. Only one man had that title. Curios. Caesar. Brothers and sisters, when we read this statement, we must combine both this. Hence the declaration, this title could not be held by anyone else. But look what Paul is saying. This carpenter from Nazareth who hung on the cross is curious. That's why he writes in 1 Corinthians 12.3, no time to take it and read it, but note it, 1 Corinthians 12.3, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. We have no idea of the powerful meaning that word has. That's why he says, see, it's combining two very powerful images merged into one. One from the Old Testament, Yahweh. One from the contemporary world of Rome, Caesar. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Jesus is curious. He is God Almighty. He is the King of Kings as we sang today. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Do you know who Jesus is? Do you understand? Jews thought this is blasphemy. Romans laughed at it, scoffed at it. How can this common criminal, that's what they thought of Jesus, be Caesar? But that's what the New Testament teaches. He is curious. He is Lord. Before I go any further, May I humbly ask you this morning, have you confessed Jesus as Lord? Have you confessed Jesus as Lord? Paul says 
If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, curios, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. There is no other way for salvation. There is no other way for salvation. My dear brothers and sisters, your good works, my good works will not get us into the presence of God. Only Jesus of Nazareth is the way to God. And who is he? He is Lord. Third affirmation. Verse 13. Here is another earth-shattering affirmation. All who call on the name of the Lord Curios will be saved. What is Paul saying? No longer is salvation contingent upon physical descendancy from Abraham. That's what the Jews believed. In order for you to be saved, you must be a physical descendant of Abraham or you must become a Jew. Paul says, no, 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 no. Salvation is contingent upon only on one thing. All, A-L-L, all who call on the name of the Lord Jesus, all who recognize who Jesus is, that he is curious, he is Yahweh in the flesh, he is King of kings and Lord of lords. All who call on the name of the Lord. Doesn't say may be saved. Doesn't say perhaps saved. It says shall be saved. Listen, as a 19-year-old young man growing up in southern India, I had the privilege of calling upon this young man, this name. Long time ago, at the time of Noah, <laughs> God changed me, transformed me, made me a child of God. Not because I am good, but because he is curious. He is Lord. He is the Savior of the world. He died for you. Have you called on him? Listen, coming to church will not save you. Even doing missions will not save you. Giving away your money will not save you. Only one thing, call on the name of the Lord. If you haven't called on him, would you please do it today before it's too late? As Pascal, the French philosopher long ago said, what do you lose by calling on the name of Jesus? What do you lose by giving him a chance? You will not lose a thing. Even if this is fiction, you will not lose a thing. You will live. You will live decent life. You will, be, you will love others. You will serve others. But on the contrary, if this is the truth, and if you don't call on him, oh, what a loss. What shall it profit a person if he or she gains the whole world and loses one's own soul? So if you haven't called on him, please do call on him right now. Most of you have done it, therefore let me go on. This good news is for all. See, it is after making these three critically important statements, Paul states the text that we read. That this good news must be believed by all. But how can they believe? How can they call on if they don't know? The sad reality is, and I know Pastor Nate tells you this all the time. The sad reality is, according to JoshuaProject.net, by the way, I recommend that website highly. If 
you'd like to know more about unreached people groups, joshuaproject.net. According to their research, out of the 17,416 people groups, people groups is technical word. Bible uses the word nation for that, nation. That's what Jesus told us. Go and make disciples of all nations. Unfortunately, in English, we have lost the meaning of what that meant when Bible was translated into English. Did you know Bible was translated into English only in the 13th century? Some of you, you know, I have heard people, some people say, in fact, one man did say that to me in person, that St. Paul carried King James Bible. No, no, no. <laughs> King James Bible is only 400 years old. When Bible was translated in English 13 or so years ago, in the 13th century, nations did mean what the Bible means. The word that is translated is the Koine Greek word, Athena. E-T-H-N-A, Athena. All of, most of you know this. Forgive me for repeating it. E-T-H-N-A, Athena. Plural. E-T-H-A-N-O-S, ethnos, singular. That's what the word nation is in English. It's not nation. Today we use the word nation and we think of political unions. Nation of India, nation of Canada, nation of Mexico, nation of the United States of America. No, no. What Bible means by that word is people group or ethnic group. Ethnic group. Athena, ethnic ethnic group. And Joshua Project Research has identified 17,416 ethnic groups, out of which 7,403 are still unreached. Did you know that? But still, one out, only one out of 30 who are going to missions targeting the unreached people groups. In my country of India alone, we have 2,142 ethna. In India, we use the word jati. I had the privilege of studying under a very famous missiologist by the name Donald McGavran. If you know anything about missions and church growth, you know that name. He's the founder of the School of World Mission at Fuller Theological Seminary, a missionary in India for many, many years. Donald McGavran, Dr. McGavran often used to say, Jati is the best translation of the word ethna or ethnos. We have 2,142 jati in India, still without adequate gospel witness. The way we got connected to College Park is because this church was praying for a particular ethnic group in India, a mega people group known as the Yadavs. 50 to 60 million. And this particular, this church was, you were praying, fasting and praying for them. And that's how Pastor Nate and we got connected because we too were praying for unreached people group. I do not have time to elaborate. Because of your help and because of your partnership, we are now focusing on reaching the unreached. India still has about 90 languages with no scripture. 
And when I say that, some people will come to me at the end of this message and say, you, Brother George, you meant dialects, right? No, no, no. I mean distinct languages, not dialects. Near 90, without any scripture translated into them. So that's our passion, and we are trying to train as many young men and women who would go and try to reach them, to try to convey this great truth that Jesus is not just a guru. Jesus is not just a prophet. He is not just a teacher. Who is he? He is curious. He is Lord. Yahweh, Caesar. Please keep these two images in your mind every time you read that word Lord about Jesus. It's a combination of the two. Yahweh, Caesar. He is Lord God Almighty. King of kings and Lord of lords. And he came and became a slave, a human, born of the Virgin Mary, a pauper, who didn't have place to sleep, who didn't have money to pay taxes, who often didn't have food that he had to look at a fig tree hoping to get a fig to eat. Why would the Lord of creation do that? Because he loves you, because he loves me. As Billy Graham often used to say, if you were the only human that lived, God would have done that. That's how much, how precious you are to God. That's how precious all these ethna, 7,000 plus, 2,000 plus in India, are to God. Oh, my dear brothers and sisters, you and I have the privilege of knowing this truth. How can we not share this? How can we keep it for ourselves? We must do everything possible to share this good news. That's what Reach 21 is all about. I'm so excited that College Park has this vision and that you're part of this congregation. I hope you're doing something for missions. Often, we don't do anything because we are overwhelmed. My wife and I, we used to live in Southern California and work, as Pastor Nate said. And then the Lord called us to go to North India. We are from South India. The Lord called us to North India. And I still remember one of the first trips that I took in North India. North India is foreign country to me. I don't speak North Indian languages. And I was standing in a railway station called Varanasi, holy city. Benares, some of you might know the name. We were standing there about nine o'clock or so at night to catch a train. And the whole platform were full of people trying to sleep. Some on a newspaper, some may have had a towel or a sheet. Some had nothing. They were laying down and trying to sleep and they're talking. And then standing in the middle of that ocean of humanity, thousands of them, I'm not exaggerating, if you have visited India, you know what I'm telling is the truth. I could hear so many different languages that I didn't understand. At that time, somebody murmured in my ears and said this to me. What a fool you are. 
you gave up your nice job in Southern California. And you have come here, you don't even understand any of these languages. What can you do? Often, the enemy comes to us and tells us that, oh, the need is too much. You cannot do anything. And for a moment, I believed it, and I thought, oh, what a fool I am. But the very next moment, the Holy Spirit reminded me a story that I had read a long time ago somewhere. Most of you probably have heard this story of a little boy walking on a beach. Sun was just coming up. Waves had washed ashore thousands of starfish. The little boy instinctively knew that if the sun comes up, these starfish would all die. So he started picking them up and throwing them into the water. A gentleman walking across saw the boy and asked the boy, boy, what you doing? And the boy said, I'm rescuing the starfish. And the gentleman said, what difference can you make? There are thousands of them. The boy stopped for a moment, picked two of them again, and throwing into the water, he said, Mister, I can make a difference to these. Brothers and sisters, we cannot do everything, but every single one of us can do something. Are you doing your part? What is the most important thing you can do? Jesus answered the question in Matthew 9 when he elucidated the problem for us in that famous scripture many of you know by heart where he said the harvest is plentiful but laborers are few. And what is the solution? I like it in the old King James translation where the old King James has translated it like this. Pray ye therefore Pray ye, therefore, by the way, it is an imperative, it is a command. Why did the Lord say that? Because that is the most important thing we must do as a church, as a family, as an individual. Will you pray for the unreached? Because that's the Lord's command. He was not saying, do it please, or if, you, if it is convenient. For, no, no, no. It is the command given to every disciple. You and I have an obligation to pray for the, those who have not heard the gospel. There are powerful tools that you can have. The little book that Pastor Nate gave away. By the way, that was Pastor Nate's gift, not mine. The Operation World. If you don't have a copy of Operation World, get it. It will help you to pray through the unreached. All of you who have smartphones, go to joshuaproject.net and download the Unreached People of the Day app. Unreached People of the Day. It will help you to pray. And when we pray, then the Lord will show us what to do. When we start praying, some of you, God will call you to go. All of you, God will call you to give more. So those who are going can be supported because without your support, we cannot do what God has called us to do. Pastor Nate often says, nine, only 5% of us are called to go, but we need the support of the 95%. I hope you're doing something. By your help, in, in NTC, New Theological College in Dehradun, I think we have a picture of our last year's graduating class, and Pastor Nate came as our graduation speaker. By God's grace, we have trained and sent out over 3,000. I wish I could say all of them are reaching the unreached. No. 
Some of them are not, but a good number of them are going to the unreached people group, including Jackson and Sharon, that this church is praying for and supporting, reaching the unreached in Bihar. Will you do something? Start with praying. Then the Lord will call some of you to go and all of us to give because without your giving, we cannot do what God has called us to do. May I pray for you quickly? Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you because you, the creator, the almighty God, the Yahweh came down as a baby in the manger of Bethlehem. You who is more powerful than Caesar, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, died for us on the cross of Calvary like a common criminal. How can we keep this news for ourselves? Oh Lord, help us to do everything possible so that maximum number of people on the face of the earth will hear this good news. Thank you for College Park. Thank you for Pastor Mark and the elders and all the pastors. Thank you for what this congregation is doing to reach the world. In case anyone who heard me today have not called on this name, Lord, I pray you give that person grace to call on you now. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. God bless you.